text this morning is found in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. These are the words of the living God. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover." For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone, eat, what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to, to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. 
And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. So the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for gathering us together today to be instructed by you. I pray, God, that you would help me to get out of the way so that we can do just that, that you would come powerfully and wonderfully in our midst and help us to understand the things contained in this passage of Scripture so that we might better serve you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so last week we looked at the call of Moses to deliver the people from the bondage that they had been experiencing in Egypt. Uh, the people were placed under a heavy burden, and Pharaoh, the snake at this point, in our history, was seeking to exterminate the nation of Israel, at that time still being referred to as the Hebrews. He's seeking to wipe them out completely by having all of the male babies killed. And so God goes to war on behalf of Israel uh, uh, throughout the rest of, of the portion of Exodus that we didn't read today. And he sends plague after plague into the land of Egypt until, in an effort to bring Pharaoh and the Egyptians to a realization that Israel does not belong to them. Uh, Israel's God is the God of all gods, and the Hebrews are his people. And Moses had warned Pharaoh in the very beginning that Israel was God's firstborn son, and if he did not let them go, that he would kill Pharaoh's firstborn son. Well, time and time again, the Lord had sent plagues upon the house of Pharaoh, and he refused to let them go. So now Yahweh has had enough, and he will send this final plague right to the very heart of Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. He will kill the firstborn throughout all of Israel, uh, Egypt. Just as Pharaoh sought to kill all the firstborn throughout the land of, uh, throughout the people of Israel, God will now execute judgment on all the firstborn throughout the entire state of Egypt, from the greatest among the people right on down to the least, and even the firstborn of the animals will be killed. There will not be a house in which someone is not left dead. This plague is going to especially afflict Pharaoh because he is going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son, the heir to his throne. You see, the God of Israel lives by the law of retaliation. It is an eye for an eye. And Pharaoh sought to utterly wipe out the children of Israel, again at this time being referred to as Hebrews, by killing all of the boy babies and then taking the girl babies and incorporating them into Egypt by marriage. So he was seeking to utterly do away with this people once and for all. So now God is going to completely wipe out all the, heir, uh, all the heirs in Egypt, and he will kill all the firstborn, and even the firstborn of the flock, strangling their economy. God is going to essentially destroy the entire world of the Egyptians, and he's going to deliver his people out of it into a new world that he is giving them where they will experience blessing, fruitfulness, and life, and abundance. And it all begins with the Passover. Now, there are many details to this text that we don't have time to go over, but we will point out some of the most fundamental ones. And the first thing that I want to point out about the Passover is that this is the beginning of a new destiny for the people of Israel. We see that in verses 1 and 2. If you look back 
chapter 12, verse 1, we see, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So in verses 1 and 2, God tells Moses that this is going to be the beginning of months for Israel. This is to say that this will be the first month of the year for them. The redemption of Israel marks a new beginning for the people of Israel. Their lives are going to be reorganized and patterned after this very event. They're going to enter into a new historical epoch after this, into a new era. Everything changes with this event. God is now going to deliver the people from the bondage of their enemies, and he's going to give them a new identity and a new hope and a new land that he has prepared for them. Next, we're shown the means by which God will bring this about, and we see that in verses 3 through 13. Let's read that again. Verse 3, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a memorial, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be a, without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So we're looking at the means by which God is going to bring about this great deliverance uh, for the nation of Israel. So first of all, the congregation was to offer up the sacrifice, the congregation or the community of people, which means that this is a community effort. Uh, there is not one person who is exempt from offering up this sacrifice from the fathers right on down to the very children. Every household was to participate in the meal. Uh, they were to get a goat or a lamb, literally, according to the mouth of each one's eating. So they were to get a lamb or a goat that was big enough to accommodate their entire family, and if their family was too small to eat the lamb or the goat, they were to eat along with their neighbors instead. So it's, first of all, the congregation who offers up the sacrifice. Next... It is to be a lamb without blemish or spot. A lamb without blemish or spot. And the text says that they were to take it on the 10th day, and they were to keep it for four days until the 14th day, and they were to slaughter it at that point. 
And during this time, during those four days, they would observe the lamb to make sure that the lamb was spotless and pure. And then when they slaughtered the lamb, they were to cook the entire thing. It was to be roasted whole. Um, They were not to prepare it in any other way. It was to be skinned, cleaned, and roasted entirely. And as we'll see later on, this is different than the other sacrifices that were oftentimes broken up and cut in half, which is a sign of the curse of the covenant, and then they were to be burned separately. But this sacrifice is unique. It is to be made whole, and the entire thing is to be eaten by the people, which points to the unity of the people with the sacrifice in which they were partaking. Third, the blood of the sacrifice was to be displayed on the doorpost and the lintel. The blood is to be displayed on the doorpost and the lintel. This is to say that some was to be smeared on each one of the doorposts. You have two doorposts, one one smear here, one smear here, and then on the lintel, the board that goes across the top of the door. And in this way, when God passed by, his judgment would not fall upon the Hebrews. When God passed by and he was going to kill all the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt and he sees that blood on the doorposts, and the lintel of the Hebrews' houses, he will pass on over to the next house. He will not destroy the firstborn in their homes. So the blood was, in a sense, a shelter from the wrath of God. The wrath of God would not fall upon any home that was marked by the blood. Last, we see in uh, verse 14 that this day is to be observed as a memorial day. This day is to be observed as a memorial day. Day, and they're to keep this feast to the Lord throughout all their generations. Uh, look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Now, we have already talked about memorials in Scripture. We have said that memorials are ways in which God is reminded of something. Remember when we talked about the story of Noah, we said that the rainbow was a memorial to God. It was a way in which God was reminded of the covenant that he made with Noah. And every time God looked and he saw that rainbow, he would be reminded of that covenant and he would relent from bringing disaster upon the earth once again by way of a flood. Well, it is the same here. They're to celebrate this day in the future by having a memorial feast. It will be a a feast of Passover and unleavened bread, as we have seen. On the 14th day, they would slaughter the lamb, and then they would roast it, and then they would eat it whole. Now, later, when worship was centralized down at the tabernacle and then later at the temple, and the priesthood was ordained, just a piece of that sacrifice would be brought up to Jerusalem and sacrificed to God, but the rest of it was roasted back at home, and the people would eat it there, or the rest of the sacrifice was there at the home, and they would eat together in their houses. And then on the 15th day, they would begin this feast of unleavened bread, where everybody ate nothing but unleavened bread for seven days straight. But here, at the uh, first Passover They just roasted the whole thing and they ate it that night in their homes. After that Passover lamb was slaughtered at twilight, text tells us it was done at twilight, which is the time between the setting of the sun and when it actually gets dark, which for the Jews was the beginning of a new day, uh, they, uh, they would eat nothing but this unleavened bread. Again, early on, when they celebrated the Passover, 
the family actually ate the lamb whole at home, but as the years went on, this became more of a memorial feast. They would eat little pieces of the lamb the size of a grape, very similar to um, the way we eat the little pieces of bread at the Lord's Supper today. It was a symbolic meal. Now, this first Passover was to be eaten in haste. They were to get all of the leaven out of their houses. They were to eat nothing but unleavened bread and and bitter herbs along with the lamb. It was to be a meal eaten in haste. Later on, when they had this memorial feast, they would spend the first seven days of the month getting all of the leaven out of their houses. And then on uh, the 14th day, they would slaughter uh, that lamb. And at the end of that day, at twilight, when the new day began, they would eat nothing but unleavened bread from then on. But the, f- the first Passover was to be eaten in haste with their shoes on their feet as they were getting ready to escape from, from Egypt. And as such, in the first Passover, they would leave with nothing but this unleavened bread that they had left over for food. The entire lamb was to be eaten on that night. None of it was to be left, and anything that was left over was to be burned up in the fire. So they would leave with nothing but this unleavened bread. They had time to make, uh, they didn't have time to make any other provision for themselves. And this shows us two things, two things. One, the unity that the meal represents, and number two, the cutting off of the old as they are getting ready to inherit the new. So first of all, the unity. Each one of those lambs represented the families, and they all slaughtered the lambs and and ate them at the exact same time together, Um, and nothing was to be left over. And this was symbolic of the fact that this was one big sacrificial feast that all of the people partook in together. It is the one lamb that preserves the one people, and all who ate lived, and all who did not eat died. So the one lamb represents the one people. So that's the unity. Moreover, the cutting off of the old uh, leaven represents the cutting off of the old world. But but before we move on, in order to understand this better, what is leaven? Well, leaven is some bread that has begun to go sour. And if you take that little piece of bread that's begun to go sour, that is corrupting, and you stick it into your lump of dough, it will cause that dough to rise. And as such... Leaven, many times throughout the scriptures, represents corruption, as it does here. Therefore, um, the people, uh, symbolically, leaven, in some instances, does represent corruption, as I said, it does here. Now, the only leaven that the people had access to at this time was from Egypt, because they'd been living in Egypt. So they have leaven from the land of Egypt, naturally. Therefore, they were not to take any of the corruption from Egypt, from the old world, into the new one that God was giving them. Do you see the connections that are being made there? They were to be cut off completely from everything in that old world from which they were being delivered as they entered into the new one that God was giving them. Now, later on, when they got into the land that God was giving them, they would again get some leaven from the land and they would put that into their batches of bread, and they would make leavened bread, but not before then, not before they got into the land. So symbolically, 
all the corruption of the old world was to be cut off from them before they left. Before they left, cut off. Okay, so the unity of the meal and the cutting off of the, of the corruption. Now again, as we have said later on, when they ate this meal and celebrated this feast, it would be a memorial, that is, a reminder to God of what he had done in passing over the people, and as such, he would continue to pass over them and not judge them for their sins, and the people would continue to celebrate this feast as a memorial to God forever. Now, as the generations went on, you can imagine as the people became separated from this event by hundreds and even thousands of years, they would forget the meaning of this, excuse me, of this meal. Uh, they would lose the meaning and the significance of it. Therefore, the story of what took place there was to be passed on by the fathers down to the children. I don't know if you picked up on that in the end of our text, but it says at the end there, when your children begin to ask you what you mean by this, why, why do you do this? You are, to, you, you are to explain to them how God delivered you through the Passover and the Exodus. It will become a teachable moment for your children, an opportunity for you to instruct them on what goes on here at this meal. So as your children begin to become interested in what is going on here, you are to tell them about how God delivered you from your enemies in Egypt, and he has given you this land in which you are now living. You're to tell them the Passover story, and that story is to become their story. You see, that's passed on from the children, from the parents to their children, and then the children take that story and pass it on to their children, and so on and so forth. And that's the way it continues to be passed on down through the years. Well, brothers and sisters, we are those who are living in the church today thousands of years down the road. Uh, we are part of that uh, generation of believers who still celebrates the Passover meal as a memorial today. So what are some of the implications of this old covenant meal uh, for those of us who are living in the new covenant today? Because you say that, that doesn't have anything to do with us. Right? That was old. That's back in the day. That was, that was then. This is now. What does the Passover have to do with us? Friends, it has everything to do with us. Let's just look at some of the points that we've made, and, and we will go at it from reverse order, starting with the last. We've been talking about this idea of memorial, right? Last thing we said, that this was to be a memorial feast celebrated throughout all generations. Do we still celebrate the Passover today? Well, think about the passage that we read this morning. Does not Jesus institute the Lord's Supper during Passover? He didn't do that on accident. The Lord's Supper is the new covenant fulfillment of the old covenant Passover meal. On the night uh, that Jesus was crucified, he takes the bread at the supper and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body. Do this as a memorial to me. And then, likewise, after they had eaten, he takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as a memorial to me. The blood of Jesus ratifies the new covenant. This is to say that it puts the new covenant into effect. Okay, uh, And now, during the Lord's Supper, we are memorializing Christ. 
This is to say we are reminding God of what Jesus has done for us. We are reminding God of the covenant that he made with us in his blood. We're, we're not being reminded. If We wouldn't be doing the Lord's Supper if we needed to be reminded. We've already been reminded. That's why we do it. But we are reminding God in this instance of what Christ has done for us. And remember we said a memorial reminds God and causes him to act. And in this instance, uh, it causes God to remember the covenant that he has made with us and he continues to forgive our sin and confers the grace and the life to us that is found in the very body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is to say he continues to pass over us. When God sees us doing this, he is reminded of what Jesus did for us. The very ritual acts of breaking the bread and pouring the cup is a reminder to God. And when he sees it, he's reminded and he acts. And whenever we eat and whenever we drink in this symbolic way, God is reminded of the covenant that he has made with us in Jesus Christ. And he acts. He comes to judge us. He comes to examine us. This is why if we eat the bread in an unworthy way, then we are judged. If God comes to us when we eat and when we drink and he finds faithfulness, he will bless us. But if he does not, he will curse us. This is why Paul warns the Corinthians, some of you are sick and some of you are dying. Because you're eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Because when we do this, We're reminding God. We're calling on God to act when we do it. And he comes and he acts every time we do it. And he judges. And again, if he finds faithfulness, he blesses. And if he does not, he curses. It will become judgment to you. And this is what the whole business of getting the unleavened bread out of your house represents. Leaven represents sin. right? Represents corruption. And before you come to the table... You're to make sure that you don't have any sins that you haven't dealt with. You're to make sure that there's not anything that you have against your brother that you're not going and talking to him about. We're to make sure that there's not any divisions between us. You know, I've got beef with that guy sitting in the pew over there, but yet we're sitting together and eating the Lord's Supper, and God sees that, and he acts. So we're to examine ourselves. When we come to the supper, we're to get rid of anything that might be hanging in the air. We have to make sure that we don't have any sin against one another and any sin against God before we come here to eat. We're to be cut off from our old ways of sin and rebellion. And as we enter into the new world that God is giving to us, which he gives us each week as as we come here together to worship, he renews the covenant with us and then he sends us back out into the world to wrestle with sin and the devil, we're to go off into the new world that God has given us and sin no more. We're not to bring any of our, that old wickedness with us. He renews us here and we go out without sin, being cleansed by him and by his blood. We're to sin no more. Finally, under memorial, this is to become a teachable moment for our children. Our children are here with us every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And when, we, and when they begin to ask us, 
what this means. Why are you guys doing this? What, is it, what does it mean? We're to tell them about how God has delivered us powerfully in the Passover and how he is giving us this new world. We're to tell them the story of Jesus Christ. We're to pass down the story of redemption to them so they can understand why we do what we do because this is their story too. Kids, this is your story too. It's part of your story. And as we tell it to them, they're to take that story and later on, God willing, they'll pass it on to their children and their children's children and and so on. So it's your story too. Next, we saw that the blood was displayed, right? The blood was to be displayed on the the doorpost and the lintel. Does, Does not Christ display the blood on the doorpost and the lintel? Think of that crossbeam where his hands were nailed, the two doorposts on the outside. Was blood not displayed there? And where the crown was thrust down upon his head, the blood flowed from his brow. Was not blood displayed there at the top, the two sides? The doorpost and the lintel is the cross of Christ. And before that, we saw that this was to be a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter tells us in his, his epistle that we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. The New Testament writers understand Jesus Christ to be the Passover lamb. We said this on, on um, Palm Sunday. The very day that they brought that Passover sacrifice into Jerusalem to be sacrificed is the same day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem to die. Jesus is the Passover sacrifice. <clears throat> Jesus is a lamb without blemish and spot. This is to say he had no sin. He was sinless. There was no imperfection in him, no spots or blemishes. He obeyed the law perfectly. He kept it in every way. Never does he sin, never does he offend, but yet at the end of his life, he's put to death as an innocent man. He's the lamb without blemish or spot. The lamb without blemish or spot pointed to the perfect man without spot or blemish. You see, that's why he's able to atone for our sins, because he's perfect. God requires a perfect sacrifice, and unfortunately, none of us are perfect. That's why we can't offer it up. But Jesus was, and so he does. He's the lamb without blemish and without spot. Next, we saw that this was a meal that was to be celebrated by the whole congregation As a matter of fact, the word here used to describe the congregation or the community is the very same word uh, that we use in the New New Testament to describe the church. It's ecclesia. The Old Testament, it was the call, the called out ones, but in the New Testament, it is the, the ecclesia, the church, the assembly of the gathered ones, of the believers. Again, in the New in the New Covenant, it's no different. We are to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, together here as a church. There's to be a oneness and a unity among us because this is a community meal. Paul tells us that the very loaf of bread, the one loaf, represents the oneness of the congregation at the Lord's Supper. At the Supper, we're celebrating the communion that we have with God and and with one another. We sit down to eat together with him at the table as one, and it is the Lord's table, but we all sit down together with him, excuse me, and eat at his table. Therefore, anybody who is baptized into the church and has discerned Christ should be here eating with us. This is to say anybody who is baptized and who has faith 
And Jesus Christ should be eating and drinking with us. There's not to be any divisions or separations or or demarcations when we sit down together at the table. No divisions between us. Everyone eating together is the whole community as one. It represents our communion with one another. Finally, we saw that the Passover marked out a new destiny for the people of Israel. This is a defining moment in Israel's history. Their calendar was actually changed as a result of it. I don't know if you picked up on that in the text. Everything that they do begins here. Uh, Everything that they do from then on is based on this event. But isn't that the same story for those of us who are living in the church today? What is the defining moment in the church's history? The most important event in all of human history, for that matter. Is it not the death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary? That is the defining moment. Think about how we keep time today. Don't we keep track of everything based on the death of Jesus Christ? It is the year 2019. 2019 years since what? 2019 years since the death of Christ. It is the year of our Lord, A.D. 29, Anno Domini in the Latin, which means the year of our Lord, 29. Now, the secular humanists of our day have tried to take that and change it to C.E., common era, instead of A.D., but it's foolish. It's stupid, really. They still keep time based on the same day. You can't escape this. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ changes everything. As a matter of fact, it is the blood of Christ shed upon the cross that allows human history to continue. If it wasn't for the blood of Christ shed upon the cross of Calvary, God would have destroyed the whole thing a long time ago. But God is patient, and he's waiting, and he's restraining his wrath. He has shown to us grace as a result of what Christ has done on the cross for us. God has given us a new world and a new hope and a new destiny through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in closing, we have seen that this old covenant rite of Passover is not so old at all, is it? Just as the Passover was the defining moment in all of Israel's history, so the death of Christ is the defining moment in all of world history. If we look at the Passover, if we look carefully, if we look underneath the Passover and what was going on there, if we squint just a little bit, we see the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Passover feast continues today. We are that later generation of believers who have the privilege of participating in this meal. God has given this uh, Lord's Supper to us as a memorial feast, and we are to celebrate it until Jesus Christ returns, inviting the whole world to come and eat with us here, to come and take shelter from the wrath of God under the blood of Jesus Christ, for only those who believe and eat will find themselves under shelter on that last day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for gathering us together in his name to celebrate what he has done, to worship you. We thank you for this meal that he has given to us as a memorial to him. Let us be reminded of what it represents. Let it reminds us, let it remind us of the unity that we have. Let it remind us of the sacrifice that he has made 
and let us live our lives in light of it. Let us be changed by your word today. Let it do a work in us for our good and your glory, O God. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.